0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we talk about technology or business, politics, and culture. This is Dona Keating. I'm your host, coming to you live from the Seattle area at about 1 p.m. Pacific Time. On Wednesday, September 23rd, listeners, you can dial 646-378-0261. We'll patch you in for live on-air questions or comments, and uh, you can press one on your keypad to let us know you're ready, and we'll patch you in. If you don't want to do that, you have a a chat option available to you. It might work better if you have a Blog Talk Radio account, but uh, we've got Chris Fielding questions and comments there. It's good to be back. I think we took something of a summer break there. I think we had one show maybe in July, but not uh, with a frequency like before, so Whatever, today's topic, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, Girls Can Do, it's an organization which provides positive role models for girls and women too. Uh, We'll talk with Ashby uh, of Bainbridge Island who is an outreach focused volunteer. She's also a UX and for people that don't know, user experience, researcher and designer in her professional life. So that kind of leads us into the whole women in STEM conversation. And if you don't know what STEM is, that's science, technology, engineering and math. So you'll hear us talk about that. Uh, If you hear us mention STEAM, that's just kind of the A for art thrown in there, but uh, let's get started. We're going to welcome her this afternoon, and uh, also joining us is going to be Charles Keating. Um, He's been on the show quite a few times, I'm sure some of you remember, president of West Sound Technology Association. He is also the president of his own um, consulting, IT consulting practice um, that he's been doing for, I would say, 30-odd years, and um, we're just going to welcome him here. Are you guys out there? I'm here. Awesome. Welcome. Charles, are you out there?
1: I am uh, here as well.
0: Okay. So, Ashley, let's start with you and just tell us a little bit about yourself, just some highlights, and we'll get into details a little later. Sure.
1: Um,
2: well, I always start with the fact that I have four beautiful children, um, and there's some other numbers that are, that are rather interesting about me. I've moved 26 times. Um, <laughs> I have four goats. <laughs> I have three bunny rabbits and two dogs and a snake. So we have a very full house, and uh, I definitely uh, like to keep keep things moving and keep things exciting. Um, I can milk a goat, obviously. I can solder copper pipes, and I can read more than 2,000 words per minute. So some more numbers and statistics about me. Uh, I'm married to one of the most brilliant developers in the world, so we have... STEM in the family and are, um, you know, huge advocates for uh, women and children, you know, learning to code and uh, being involved in technology at an early age. And currently I work for Deloitte. Uh, They're one of the largest consulting firms in the world, and I work for the Deloitte Digital Branch. So I do consulting with um, companies, you know, all over, helping them develop, you know, really brilliant uh, user experiences and for their clients and customers in interfaces, apps,
0: and um, systems. Okay, yeah, that sounds like an, an almost another show altogether with all the goats and everything. That's <laughs> that's great, um, Charles. What about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, well I I haven't moved around as much, but it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> but I have started in tech uh when I was very young. Um I got a job as a programmer when I was 16 because I already had a lot of skills. So I have a lot of synergy when I see kids growing up with technology nowadays. It's a very familiar experience to uh how I grew up. And the whole idea of of seeing, you know, more women in STEM is obviously keen to me because I have a 10-year-old, soon-to-be 11-year-old daughter, and she's into programming and and STEM, and I don't think it's a a sideline career so much anymore as much as one of something that has to be integrated into everything. So I think it's a very important conversation. Uh, And uh, my background, Wes, as you did. As you right. can say, and, I, and I've been president of West Sound Technology Association since, since 2009. I've been on the board since 2002. You were president from 2002 to 2009, so we've we've together kind of husbanded the West Sound Technology Association for many many years. And and it's not our only initiative. We obviously run multiple businesses, technology and IT consulting. So we and we travel a lot and and meet with representatives in many other areas. So it's kind of a deep conversation. Okay,
0: yeah, and, and you know, me, I guess most people that are <clears throat> used to listening to the show are kind of accustomed to my little background, and so I'm not going to, you know, go too much into detail, but basically, um, I've had a long career in a variety of different industries. Um, obviously, I started off or had some technology. I was an operations analyst. I also had a legal, a long legal career that had a lot to do with policy and politics, and uh started my own firm which is kind of more of an integrated um strategic leadership and management consulting firm, but I also have a lot of technology integration as certain aspects of that. And as Charles mentioned, you know, helped as a co founding member for the technology association here and also the Coder Dojo and, and just a lot of things that we're involved in um here. So um Enough of me, and then to your, to Ashby's point, I I have moved even more than that. I'm not going to go any further than that, but I've been I've dozens <laughs> <Wow. laughs> of times. It's just it's a crazy thing, and and this has actually turned out to be the longest place that I've ever lived, which is amazing to me. So that's another show too. <laughs> so Ashby, going back to you, um, and talking specifically about sure. women in STEM and your experience as you've made your path through that career, you've mentioned that you're a consultant at Deloitte Digital, and what's that been like?
2: Uh, I really enjoyed it. So this is kind of a a newer role for me. I started about four months ago. And um, I've been doing user experience in in some sort of incarnation uh, for 15 years now. And I find that consulting is a really great fit for me. As you can see by my numbers that I gave you, I I like to keep things moving. And um, I kind of have a short attention span. So being able to really dive in, uh, Add value for our clients and give them all sorts of uh, strategic advice and information to help them change, you know, the the norm in their in their current interfaces or even develop new interfaces is is a
0: place that I'm
2: really excited about being and, and feel like I excel at.
0: So, what is the most interesting project you've worked on in your career? Wow,
2: Um, there are so many. Um, I think that the one that I tend to talk about most as the most interesting, mainly just because it gives me a little bit of cred with my kids, is when I did um, user research on uh, Tomb Raider. So I was able to work with Microsoft Research, and I ran a a series of usability studies over about a month on, on Tomb Raider, and we did a really interesting methodology where we did co-discovery, where we had two different people playing the game at the same time. And what was so great about this project is I was able to integrate one of my passions um, into the methodology and even into helping understand the results of of the study. So flow is a cognitive engagement concept, uh, really talked about and defined by a guy named Mihai 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 and he's written a number of books, and you can Google Flow. Uh, I don't expect you to remember how to spell that name. It seriously took me 20 times to memorize how to just say it myself. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I would highly recommend that book about cognitive engagement. So co- so Flow and Cognitive Engagement is one of the key things that game designers use to um, basically get people into the games and get them involved and get them hooked on the game. Now... A lot of people think, oh, video games are addicting and they're bad and we shouldn't be doing them. But actually when you study flow and you look at the um, the things that happen to your body and to your brain when you're in a flow state, you find that it, it actually has uh, all sorts of benefits for mm-hmm. you. Your brain lights up in a way that um, it doesn't in any other activity, and the activity itself becomes self-rewarding, and that's the very definition of flow is you come to this sweet spot between challenge, how hard something is, and ability, you know, what your skill level is. And you're able to perform in, in that state for hours at a time with, you know, completely losing track of time. And they've done studies recently where they have found that people who regularly reach a flow state actually have better health, um, are less depressed. And have uh, other health, you know, other benefits like you know lower blood pressure by you know reaching that flow state and having that chemical release in your brain when you are doing engaged in a self-sustaining activity. And video games is one of those one of those activities. And with our changing society, a lot of times we're so stressed out that actually video games can be a healthy way to kind of get your brain. To optimal function and have it let go of some of that stress that maybe in you know, being you know in in the real world where things are too hard or too boring or too stressful and your brain's not happy so um going back to that project the cool thing was we 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 studied two people playing the game together and we found that the most uh the the novice user and the expert user that the novice liked the game the most, not when the expert was telling him, do this, do that, do something else. It was when the expert user was actually just giving them strategies for engaging with the game and teaching them how to play from a strategic perspective rather than, you know, pick up that torch off the wall and then go look at that thing. Instead, they were saying things like, look around your environment and, what's next and start observing these things and, and really helping that person engage with the game. And, and so the theory was after the study that um, you know, the more that in-game tutorials can simulate an expert user, then uh, the faster that nov- novice users will engage with the game and reach a flow state
0: and you know it's a very interesting you know cuz we talk about code or computer programming in general and there's always a comment somewhere um about how it's overkill or how we should incorporate the arts or how you know there's too much computer or internet or video game time and it's bad for people and so it was always you know, something that we, and and of course now you, you share your thoughts on the subject that <laughs> show that there are other sides to this. And it spills into, yeah. and I'm going to let Charles jump in and have some comments on this too, it spills into some of the experience that happens um, with the coding that we're doing with the Coder Dojo. And you can see the model, um, the disruption to the model that's been out there, including for education, where you're trying to flip the classroom and flip the way of thinking. So it's not just about who's advanced, who's a beginner. It's really about the strategy um, and having a mm-hmm. mentor that is there to facilitate, but mostly mm-hmm. um, getting that strategic, kids, teaching kids, helping one another, looking at it from a different perspective and having more of a reward from that. And then, you know, kind of jumping off from that point into a leadership Uh, mode, where you start thinking, well, who else can I help and what else can I contribute Mm -hmm. even if I am advanced than other kids in the class? So I know it's kind of uh, different, but another parallel to what we're talking about in that, you know, looking at the satisfaction piece and and how um, uh, more at ease people are when they're doing certain activities that are related to coding or computer programming or even, you know, playing video games and, and how we're switching the paradigm on that.
2: Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly why I became so passionate about flow was seeing all the applications of using gamification and cognitive engagement to actually teach people things. And taking all of that research and work that's been done in the game design community and translating it, and it already has been. I mean, we have all sorts of games out there that teach kids to code, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the model of having the expert and the novice, you know, both peers, one teaching the other, just like you were saying. And it's funny because I have had two experiences with people engaging with coding just in the last couple of weeks. One is my son, um, he just started a new school where they have a programming class and, and we were really excited about that. And he um, has gotten so engaged with the curriculum that one night he came to me and I said, you know, sweetie, it's bedtime, you got to go to bed, and he said, but mom, I just have to build this one feature in my game and I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> he was so excited, he literally couldn't sleep. And then on the other end of the spectrum was at, at the Coder Dojo. Actually, I was there this last weekend with Charles, and um, I was sitting next to another mom with her son, and she was chatting with me. And she's like, "Oh, next time I'm going to bring my computer." And I said, "Well, here, why don't you use my laptop?" Because I was kind of operating in that mentor mode and just helping my my kids. And and I said, "Why don't you use my laptop? And I'll get you started, and and I'll you know, and you can just kind of go and and I." you know, put her on the Code Academy, and, you know, she just, she's like, oh, my gosh, this is so easy. And she, you know, I think like a lot of people, and especially women, Mm -hmm. they have a behavior, they have behaviors modeled for them throughout their life of women being uh, scared of technology or being, uh, you know, disinterested in technology or feeling like technology is not for them. And it creates a block. And even though she actually is a designer and worked with sophisticated software like Illustrator and, you know, Photoshop, she'd never really opened that door to code. And so just she was able to write a few lines of code in and be able to actually do things within a matter of 20 minutes. And then I was able to kind of show her how – you know, you can inspect, you know, inspect element in any web page and look at the code underneath. And I even, you know, my favorite parlor trick is to uh, show people how they can change news headlines, you know, on right. CNN by going in there. And I, you know, we were making silly comments about politicians and the news headlines. And she just, you know, it was just amazing how engaged she got in code just from those, those two little bits. And so, You know, age and gender really aren't a factor when you engage people in what they're doing.
0: Right. You definitely have to find the hook. I, I come across people some some are male, not not as many though, where someone will come to the Kodo Dojo and you know, the dad'll be reading something and, and he says, I have no interest in this whatsoever and you know, then you say to yourself, Well, I mean you could at least he had the wherewithal to bring his son or his daughter and let them do it and not stand in the way and then of course sometimes you have women that are like, I have no clue about any of this and it's it's not about whether or not you have a clue, it's about whether or not you have curiosity and you're willing or interested in doing it. Because that's the twenty first century world, everything that we have, no matter what industry it is, is going to have some element of this in it. And just to exist in the world, it helps to understand it. You don't have to be a coder. Charles, did you have some comments? Mm -hmm. You've been out there for a while.
1: Um, (laughs) I think you're really covering a lot of it. You know what the trick is? is Once people are engaged, uh, I think they get it. The problem I think we're always running into is expectations and resistance to a lot of change. And I think that comes at a couple levels. One, when people attend, it's it's such an ingrained thing to come to a, quote-unquote, a class and want to be taught something rather mm-hmm. than this flipped classroom model where there's mentors and you lead on something, but then they, they're supposed to jump in and take initiative, which I think is a key skill that's going to be absolutely required going forward. You're not always going to have somebody telling you, here's the area you need to look at. You know, It's like an entrepreneur versus somebody who just works in a business.
0: Mm-hmm. They have to
1: figure out a certain model. And I think we're, 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 we're teaching and training this into the children so that they get, you know, you're responsible for your own learning. It's not just sit there and you're a sponge and you soak it up. You actually drive the learning process. And that comes in a couple flavors, some that are just too beginner, don't know where to start, you try to get them going, and some that are very advanced that expect, you know, well, you got to challenge me. Well, it's not up to us to challenge you. You can challenge yourself. We can provide some tools and some guidance but you got to work with us. It's not like we can design 30 different classes for 30 different kids and have them all challenged at the same level. There're going to be different things going on. So, you know, we lose some at the top end, we lose some at the bottom ends, but we're trying to really kind of work and hopefully people will get it over time and some of them will come back and I think you've done a really good job. Some some people have said one and done, you know. You can't do that in this world. You got to be you got to have some persistence if you're going to get ahead. So that's one thing, and then the other thing is just just seeing this entire educational model challenged with what we're doing. Um, I think it, it that presents its own issue. So maybe you don't want to go in that way with the conversation just yet.
0: Okay. Well, we're talking about empowerment, so I'm going to jump back into um, girls can do, and give mm-hmm. Ashby an opportunity to you know talk about it. You know, first of all, what is it and why did you sure. decide to become involved in it, and what does being um an outreach focused volunteer entail for you so let's hear it, sure, okay,
2: so girls can do is an event series that um is designed to inspire women and you know give young girls and women a chance to connect. And engage and share experiences and a lot of it is focused on women in STEM um, but there's also women who have achieved other things last year there was an astronaut uh, there was a, a judge um, there was a, a woman who had been uh, very influential in uh, helping to manage her tribe uh, locally so there was a lot of really inspiring women, uh, you know, at the at the event last year, and and I'm sure there will be again this year. Um, so I I got started with Girls Can Do because I met Karen Cole, and she, you know, Girls Can Do is is her. Is her creation, and uh, she is also in the user experience field. And so uh, we were at an industry event, and I heard her speak, and she was so passionate about it and really just kind of inspired me, and I could tell that she cared deeply about inspiring young women and giving them uh, opportunities to meet and hear from women who had achieved things and and had succeeded in their various fields. And um, so... And, and for me personally, it was it was interesting after the event. There's a, a story that I shared with Karen, and, and I'll share with you. Is so I was uh, very much a crazy little scientist when I was a kid, and I love <laughs> bugs and nature, and I mean that was all I wanted to do was, was study things, and and I mean, and so when I got into school. And I got into eighth grade. I had I don't remember much of my school because, honestly, I was bored in lots of it. But I remember yeah. a few teachers. And I remember my eighth grade biology teacher. And he was really engaged with the students. And he was interested in uh, helping us learn beyond just, you know, teaching to the test or, you know, achieving, you know, some pre-recorded you know, list of, of things. And he let me come in and do dissections of animals. After school, and use the microscopes and do all of this stuff. And one day I came home after school and I said, Mom, I'm going to be a genetic engineer. This is amazing. Someday, you know, I just learned about about DNA and how it really worked and expression and genes and genomes and pun and squares. And I was just hooked. And and I I was so excited. You know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to make fish glow and I'm going to, you know, Make a banana and an avocado be the same thing, <laughs> and I can still remember to this day her face and she was she was dismayed, and she was a little sad, and she said, Well, you know that's not a job you can do at home, and you should really focus on something that will help you be a good mother, you should be a teacher, you know, maybe you should uh be a nurse you know and and I was really crushed um mm. and i and I never followed that that path I mean I had had this passion for biology and animals and I still obviously love animals but um, since ever since I can remember I mean I remember I have memories of, of being three years old and looking at bugs you know in the grass and and it wasn't really her fault you know it's her culture and her family and everything that she had experienced and she believed it shaped her perspective and she was just trying to guide me and with with the tools and framework that she had, but today, you know, I see that, you know, if if I had had support or if I had had even just in that moment um, someone say, yes, you can do that, yes, that's, you know, that's amazing, I'm going to support you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to find you more library books or, you know, and I, I mean, I remember my dad buying me a microscope before this, so... You know, they supported it at some point, but but that was the point that was a turning point where I felt like that was not something I could do, and it stopped me. And, you know, I love my life. I have an amazing life. I've, I've had so many experiences, and I love my family. But I believe that every woman and every girl, especially at that age, when you're starting to look for things that you want to do with your life and things you're interested in, needs to have someone telling them, yes, and not no. And and that was um you know, that was why I got solved with with girls can do. So okay. so what I do as an outreach coordinator, to go back to that question, is mm-hmm. I talk about girls can do. I try to coordinate with um, with individual counselors and um teachers within the school system on Bainbridge Island. So Bainbridge Island is my uh kind of area and and just try to get um Groups together to go to the event, and so last year what I did is i I connected with the counselor at the high school. we put up posters um I connected with um Kim Rose at the high school who has has been a great lady and uh is is a a real advocate for kids and, and women in tech and um with is at bainbridge high and because I connected with her now I'm on the um technology curriculum development board. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know so we so we did that so we were able to you know transport get tickets and and give girls ages 8 to 18 the opportunity to go and and be inspired at, at the event so it was, it was pretty fun
0: it is and it's not, so in other words i mean if they're it's really coordinating through the um counselors and whatnot but if there's uh, if there are mm-hmm. girls out there or women out there that are interested in getting involved in girls can yes. do or it's, or its initiatives or events it's you know mm-hmm. they just what they should just ask their counselor basically is what you're saying at their school
2: um yeah so locally uh in the Island, i mean it's just know this is a, a you know worldwide broadcast so locally they can contact the um, beyond that, actually, you can just go to the Girls Can Do website. They have all sorts of contact information. They can help you find a coordinator in your area or, um, you know, if they, if they can't do that, there are some great ladies um, that on their volunteer and on their full-time team that will help, you know, women and girls. Connect and, and get tickets to the event. Find out more about the next event. They have not yet set a date for the next event, so the website still has the you know the February 2015. But I anticipate that that'll be coming within the next month or two. Um, so so there's there's information online, and honestly anyone can can contact me uh, as, whether it's through Twitter. My Twitter handle is my name Ashby Pfizer, and I have a website that also has a you know email contact form you know, and they can fill that out. There's, there's lots of different ways to connect to Girls Can Do. And I think one of the most important models that Girls Can Do, there's, there's two really, is one is having teachers uh, really take the initiative in identifying girls who are at risk or girls who are interested that are in their classes and taking the initiative to take them to the event. Um, and there's actually events not just in Seattle, but I think they do them in Denver and San Francisco as well. And the other model is mothers um, really being that role model and taking their daughters to the event. And that's what I did last year. And you know, if you look back in my Twitter, I don't I'm not, I'm not huge with the Twitter, but I think there's a picture of me and my girls and. You know that was a really um, that was a really special thing for me to be able to take them to that and and kind of have our our girl power day and and listen to women who had followed their deep dreams and achieved big things and, and didn't let anything really stop them. So um, I think that there's a lot of ways to engage with it, and I'm more than happy to facilitate anyone who's listening who wants to become involved and connect you with uh, the right people.
0: So the Grace Hopper Celebration of Women in Computing is the world's largest gathering of women technologists, and it's produced by Anita Borg Institute and presented in partnership with ACM, or Association of Computing Machinery. Now, some really cool things about Grace Hopper, for people that don't know who she is. She was an American um, computer scientist, and she was also a U.S. Navy Rear Admiral, which was really pretty darn cool, especially back then. Um, And she was one of the first uh, programmers of the Harvard Mark I computer in 1944. Um, She invented the first compiler for a computer programming language, and she actually popularized the idea of machine-independent programming languages, which led to the development of, ta-da, Charles, I know you're going to cringe, COBOL. Okay. Yay. So, yay. And we're not going to get into that whole Y2K, COBOL, defense sector. I mean, that's a whole other show once again. But, you know, it was one of the first high-level programming languages out there when it first came out. And, you know, obviously still the source of consternation for, for some who shall remain un- unnamed. Um She also popularized the term debugging uh, for fixing computer glitches, and in one instance it was actually Mm -hmm. literally removing a moth from a computer, which is kind of funny. And then because of her, you know, all of her accomplishments, even back then, they uh, called her amazing grace. And um, there's also a a guided missile destroyer, the USS Hopper. uh, Navy is named after her. And also a Cray um, XE6 Hopper supercomputer that's at NERSC, or National Energy Research Scientific Computing Center. So, um, She's a really cool person. She became an employee of a computer corporation in 1949, and she was a senior mathematician and joined the team that developed UNIVAC, which for me was kind of cool because I ended up years ago working with Sperry UNIVAC Systems um, when I was doing network ops and, and many, many, many moons ago. But um, just to bring up that event, you're going to that, right, Ashby? Why yep. don't you tell <laughs> us about that? Uh, and it's next month. Is it next month? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Tell us about left, that like event. two weeks. <laughs> Oh oops. sure. Here we um,
2: go. <laughs> yeah, you know uh almost as much as I do, but <laughs> so, um, obviously, you know, the 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 creation of the event is inspired by, you know, uh, an amazing and inspiring woman. Uh the cool thing is it's it's the biggest it's the biggest event for women in technology out there. And um so I had to actually apply to go um, to get, you know, one of the Deloitte tickets, and I had to write a little, you know, blip about why I was passionate about women in tech, and, you know, got got chosen to go, so that was a, a real honor for me, and, um, you know, I am just so excited to go to uh, learn more about my field, uh, UX, and to connect with other women who are doing what I do and, and other women who are doing similar things, who are, who are programmers, who are, uh, you know, systems integration experts, and, and hear from, I mean, people like Cheryl Sandberg is going to be speaking and, mm-hmm. you know, the Chief Technology Officer of the United States of America, Megan Smith, I mean, there's just some really amazing women that are gonna be speaking and just kind of engaging with uh women on on that level of people who are passionate about technology, who are passionate about, you know, breaking glass ceilings and and uh helping other people and inspiring, you know, the younger generation to engage in technology for, you know, the rest of their lives. And so, um uh, yeah, I, I'm excited and and then I will come back and I will be doing a, a brown bag event at at my office to talk about the different speakers and, and what I learned and, you know, kind of carrying it forward and um helping other people connect to that same, you know, passion and ideation.
0: I would love to facilitate having something like that over here for girls, like some kind of an event that's introductory Mm -hmm. that then links them back to Girls Can Do and and some of the things that they're doing over there. Charles, you've been listening to some of the, the, uh, all of the conversation. What am I talking about? Unless you're, like, not listening. But, um, you know, about the whole, I I knew you, about the whole thing. And and we're very, very, very different parents from, you know, we are extremely, we're, we're definitely geeks. We've grown up as geeks. We've always been geeks. We were lucky enough to find one another and be geek, you know, a geek couple, and now we have a geek kid. And so, I mean, we're almost the other extreme. I mean, anything that she wants to do that science or technology or math related, we've encouraged everything. And she's also very well rounded because she's got other pieces, you know, with sports and and foreign languages and Mandarin, and, and so, so we, we are just, you know. And, and Ashby, you're the same way. I mean, we really just encourage <laughs> our kids so much to just explore you know, their full potential. But my point is, my question is to you, Charles, what are your thoughts about, you know, girls and empowerment and women in tech and, you know, how they could even start to, and I'll ask Ashby the same thing, how they can start to get involved in technology careers and where they should start?
1: Well, one thing I want to just make an affirmation, and that is even though we're both geek parents and Meryl has been interested in, we've done everything to instill that, there still seems to be some factor, and I think this is why these efforts are so important, where, you know, one day they come back and they feel discouraged. You know, has somebody told you that you're not good at this or tried to discourage you from this? And you try to get your handle around it to make, you know, to find out, are they really having trouble or are they being discouraged from pursuing something? You know, and that's a piece that I'm still even struggling with, uh, with our daughter. And it's like, I want to make sure... You know, she feels she has every opportunity out there, and I think there's these subtle signals out there all the time that basically said, oh, no, you can't do that. You, you know, you're, you're not expected to do that. And I don't know if that's just cultural programming or what, and we have to kind of counteract that. So I'm just, I just wanted to make this affirmation that these explicit overtures to counteract these subtle messages is something that's valuable you're actually trying to counteract something that basically is there. It's not like it's just something that's hidden. Well, maybe it is to a certain degree, but it's also something I think that's very explicit, and I think you, you end up dealing with it all the time. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure it trickles down in a lot of different ways. I mean, obviously there's the the gender issue, and then, of course, there's even, for me, as a woman of color, I mean, the expectation that I'm going to be a geek or, or even intelligent is, or educated is, you know, something that you have to, much less science or math or technology. So But, you know, it, I look at it differently in the 21st century than I think other people do. I don't wear it as a badge or as a, you know, woe is me. I, it, I consider it somebody else's issue, and so I am always focused on, what I want to do and how I'm going to to go and do that. And so that's sort of the way that I'm empowering our daughter to think about things. Like you can't get down in the dumps about the way that someone misperceives you. That's their problem, not yours. You know, the only reason why it matters to you is if they're trying to um, overtly stop you from doing something, and then that's where your strategies and your resilience, you know, those things come into play. But otherwise, you know, it's just – It's like a a flea on the shoulder. You've just got to flick it off and keep going. Um, So, Ashby, about you and your comments, women and girls getting involved in technology careers and where do they start, and, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I think that, you know, I think, number one, parents need to be supportive. I think that for kids and for uh, girls specifically, oftentimes women, are not uh, comfortable with technology and they don't model that behavior for their daughters. So yeah. I think, you know, women as women, as mothers, we need to show our girls that we are comfortable with technology and if we really aren't comfortable, then we need to put our girls in situations where they are going to see other women who are comfortable with technology and who are comfortable with science and who are comfortable with math and who are, you know, don't have, because I think fear, and I think fear and acceptance, I think those are two of the big issues. We have, you know, we have that fear and we have that, uh, you know, Disinterest modeled, and then that's what the kids pick up on. And if that for some reason they are so interested in it that they they get past their what's modeled for them, well then we have an entire culture which does not reinforce the you know the image of women in technology. I mean, it is a huge, huge problem in my industry right now. Not mm-hmm. necessarily in UX per per se. Uh, where that, that has actually come pretty far, but in um, in programming, in, you know, anything that kind of goes beyond just research, you know, it's like it's okay if you're a girl, you can research it, but then actually, you know, building prototypes and and doing, you know, the code and then integrating the system and, and understanding how, how all this technology works together, you know, that's still just, you know, 90%, 80% men. And so, and I think it, we're kind of in that place where where we were in the 1950s. You know, in the 1950s, where there was a very kind of uh, prescriptive model of, you know, women, women stay at home, and they take care of the kids, and it's their responsibility, and, you know, the men go out, and they work, and there was a very clear division of, of roles and responsibilities. And over the past 50 years, you know, those walls have broken down. However, when it comes to technology, you know, we seem to still have some of those very clear roles. So even though we have women with the choice to, to go out into the workforce, they don't necessarily have the the models and support they need to work in technology and science and math. You know, they don't have that modeled for them. So I think you're right. You know, they we need to have these events. We need to have these engaging kind of situations like, JoJo, like Hoto Dojo, like Hopper for, you know, women who are just starting out or even mid career professionals like myself, you know, I I think that there's um there's a lot of things that, that need to happen and need to continue to happen. Because if we just ignore it and say, well, I'm not gonna think that way anymore because I've gotten beyond that, it's ignoring the fact that there's all these, you know, other people, this large percentage of people that don't have those, that knowledge and tools and haven't gotten over that hump. And so for kids, we need to engage them early on in coding. I think it's just as important, you know, when, when I was a kid, it was like you need to learn Spanish, you need to learn Spanish. Well, we need to teach our kids coding because it doesn't matter what they do. They need to understand how all of the systems that surround them and make their life what it is work. Even if they don't become coders themselves, they need to understand how it all works,
0: you know, just and Charles, to be able to function. Yeah, and Charles, can you referred to it, which was a while ago when you did a column for uh, Kids Up Business Journal. Um, it as a second language.
1: Yes. Uh, first off, Ashby, can we clone you? <laughs> because we need more of you. Because um, that's that's obviously that's the key point. It's it's like, well, is every single person out there going to become a programmer? No, and not even desirable, but everybody needs to have an understanding of what is involved because regardless of whether they're a programmer or just somebody who works with programmers or somebody who just works with systems that have automated components, this kind of uh, systems thinking is going to be absolutely essential to being successful. And that's what we're really saying. It's just another—it's just another uh, threshold to have to cross. You know, you can't be successful in today's world if you're—if you're not a good communicator, if you don't have some basic math skills. It's going to be, become endemic, endemic that if you don't have good technology skills, you will not be able to be successful. If you can just turn around and say, "Well, I'm just not good with computers," and expect somebody else is going to do it for you, because it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do when you when people in your team are designing automated cars? And uh, you know you don't have a job as a taxi driver anymore. You're going to be designing the next automated car that's going to be driving everybody around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that we we're dealing with with it now. The uh, conversation is sort of shifting in terms of the what you can't do when you talk about girls can do or you know whoever. Um, It's a, well, you can't do this because you don't have access to technology, or you can't do this because you don't have access to funding, or, you know, so there's a lot of emphasis on what you can't do. And the way that we counter that is we try to find ways that are you know, independent of having a computer. Obviously, it would be nice if everybody could have one, but there are other exercises and, and other opportunities that are out there that don't require it that still allow them to get the brain food that they need so that they don't feel like there's this one barrier between them and getting access to something that's important, and that's what keeps the flow going in a lot of ways. And then you know, there are other programs like Ada Academy that Technology Alliance started, so there's a lot of little pockets of of um, initiatives and offerings that can, you know, go beyond the traditional educational um, setup to to help some of these girls and other kids and underserved communities get access to things that they otherwise would not if they're dependent upon you know this large overstructure of of the uh, you know in the institution of education to provide them with this because education is really a twenty four hour seven day a week three hundred sixty five day a year lifetime thing. It's not something that's that's going to just shut off and shut on when you walk into a classroom. And I think that, you know, kind of reinforcing that is is what helps people get access, more access, um, and in, and self empowered to do some of these things. Um any other thoughts that you guys want to share about this subject?
2: Yeah, actually I did uh I wanted to touch on um young girls who are interested in so we, I talked a lot about what parents can do, but I think you know if you are sixteen or if you are twelve or if you are eighteen or even twenty one and you're interested in a technology career or you
1: you know or you don't
2: know what career you want, and you know you think that well, I need something to mm-hmm. find somebody, find a woman who is doing that career, who you know or is connected to somebody else in that career because I think almost every woman I know who works in technology. Is willing to be your advocate or your mentor or your support in order to help you achieve your dreams. I, I don't know mm-hmm. one woman in in you know there's not a lot of us around. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one on Bainbridge Island. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're but not. I, every woman I know, I'm not. But but I that my point is, is is that there are women, there are women on Bainbridge Island, there are women everywhere who do these careers, and if if a 17-year-old if a girl who wants to do something, whether it's, you know, criminology or programming or UX or any anything technology-related, find a woman. Even if you're just Googling on or going on Facebook, find a woman. Ask your friends. Find somebody who does that career. Ask them for help. And you know what? I guarantee they will give you some of their time or they will help you find someone who can help you. I think that there's so many people out there willing to pass the torch and and eager to pass the torch. I
0: agree. I agree with that. Any other final thoughts from you, Charles?
1: Um, No, I just second that. I mean, I think we just need to continue to to make these efforts out uh, available and to continue to encourage women, girls, young girls uh, to take up STEM careers and have more of that happen. It's, gonna, it's, it's absolutely essential uh, to our vitality.
0: And Ashby, let's get one more round from you of URLs, Facebook sure. pages, <laughs> uh, Twitter handles. Let's sure. get all of that one more time.
2: Okay. So Twitter is Ashby Pfizer. Um, I have a website, which is sadly not very updated, with a few projects also not updated, but it's Uh I do not have a i you can find me at linkedin see ashby pfizer uh and you know link LinkedIn to me i'm happy to you know make professional connections i am a member of u x p a and SIGCHI, which are local the local chapters of you know user experience professionals and and then you know you can you can find me on facebook too just just see ashby pfizer i don't have a professional facebook page i have a uh A nonprofit that I have on Facebook called Bowery, but that's uh, animal, and uh, it's a whole—it's a whole different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So, and then of course, uh,
0: yeah, Twitter. Anything, uh, right? So, any other? So, and then the other thing is, if you're listening out there and you want to know how to get in touch with—and this is always the case—if you want to get in touch with someone that we've hosted as a guest, you can always reach out Mm -hmm. to us on Straight Talk Radio Facebook blog talk radio here um where there's a, a a space where you can write a response. You can always reach us and we will always, always, always put you in touch with anyone that you want to be in touch with. So um it's been an interesting show. I'm gonna wrap up now then and uh Absolutely. thank you and thank you guys both for being on the show. Awesome. Thank, thank, you, thank you, you so much you. for having
2: me. I really enjoyed
0: it. Oh we've enjoyed having you too so we're gonna go ahead and uh thanks to Ashby and Charles for hanging out with us today. And to all of you for tuning in. You can listen to this live broadcast as a podcast now on our Blog Talk Radio site right here where you are. We're also syndicated, quote-unquote, on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Facebook, as I mentioned earlier, at backslash str 8 talk radio. That's Sammy Tommy Roger, the number 8 in Talk Radio. This is Donya Keating. I'm signing off at about 145 or so Pacific Time on Wednesday, September 23rd.